Hey everyone, this episode of Books and Boba is brought to you by Libro.fm. As you know, we at Books and Boba are strong proponents of supporting your local independent bookstores, but unfortunately, due to obvious reasons, it's been hard to get out lately. That's where Libro.fm comes in. Libro.fm is the first audiobook company to make it possible for customers to purchase audiobooks through their local booksellers of choice. They offer over 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and hundreds of bookseller recommendations. And each purchase goes to support one of their 1,100 plus independent bookstore partners. Audiobooks are a perfect way to work through the TBR list of yours while doing chores, walking the dog, or just staying safe at home. All you need is a smartphone with the Libro FM app. Listeners of Books and Boba can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one by going to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O.fm, and enter the code Books and Boba. With each listen, you can take pride in knowing that you're supporting your local bookstore as well as Books and Boba. Again, to access your two-for-one promo deal, um, go to Libro.fm and enter the code Books and Boba. And now to our show. You're listening to... Welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yeh. And I'm Rira Yu. And we have a very exciting author interview for this episode of Books and Boba. We're talking with Julie Abe, the author of the new middle grade novel, Eva Evergreen, Semi Magical Witch. Uh, the book follows uh, pretty much a young witch in training with a pinch of magic and a knack for semi-magical repairs. Uh, I had a wonderful time reading this book. And I'm sure that young readers out there who are really into magical fantasy will enjoy it as well. Uh, the talk, our talk with Julie was really fun. We talked about pretty like our talk pretty much went everywhere. We talked about anime. We talked about how Japanese breakfast is superior uh, to Western breakfast. <laughs> it's like we talked about fear of failure and how to overcome that. It. Like, I, I had a really great time talking to Julie. Yeah, this is her debut novel. So we also talked to her about her journey um, becoming a writer and getting this book out. So um, I guess without further ado, uh, let's get right into our chat with Julie Abe. Please enjoy. I'm so excited to have Julie Abe, the author of Eva Evergreen, Semi-Magical Witch, here with us today. Um, thank you, Julie, so much for uh, being here with us. Thank you. I've been a huge fan of Books and Boba for the longest time, so it's exciting to be here. Yeah, we're old friends. I, I remember <laughs> when, when you first started following us. I think it was like two years ago or two and a half years ago. So we're, we're so excited to have you. Um, I still can't like believe people listen to our podcast, to be honest. I know, right? Yeah. Especially authors, too. Story. I know, like, real-ass people listen to our podcast. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great resource. Just as an Asian-American, it's nice to know that there's a community of authors and books that are actually own voices and legitimate. So <laughs> I love the podcast. Awesome. 
So your book is coming out in two days. Uh, mm-hmm. We're recording this on August 2nd. Um, so so by the time you hear this, it's, it'll already be out. So we're going to hype up the book so our listeners can go and just grab it right after they listen to this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Do you have, uh, I guess, like jitters? Like, are you are you nervous about your launch? It's yes. Yes. And no. Yes, because it's finally here. And no, because I feel like it's been happening for a long time already. So it's a it's exciting just to be able to finally have the book out in the world and have everyone finally read it. So I'm very excited. Yeah, this is your debut, right? Yes, it's awesome. my first <laughs> and only book in the world as of yet. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to know more about your background. I mean, um, were you always a writer? And what was the process like getting this book made and put out into the world? I never really thought I would ever become a writer. I've always absolutely loved reading when I was little I was I would read all the time like it was my favorite thing like if I could get some like birthday money or something like that it would always like go towards books like without a doubt um but I never considered writing as something that I could do personally when I think it was because when I was young there weren't many authors that were not white and mm. seeing that, I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's not me. Like, I love these books, obviously. I love these authors, but I don't think that's something that, that is me, um, something that I can do. Uh, so I kind of actually followed in the fo- uh, footsteps of my father and like what did biz admin for my major and stuff like that. Um, mm. but all, all along I did like, I loved books, ne- nevertheless, like I loved, just the world of books and how it could take me away and be an escape. And I, looking back, I did do realize that I did write when I was younger. I never thought much of it, but I did write um, just for fun, like in a journal or a diary. And then in middle school, my teacher had us read The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. I really like the book. Um, it's a bunch of short stories, sort of like set on Mars. Um, and then, so her prompt was, write your own little Martian Chronicles, your own chapter. And I was super excited. I was like, oh my gosh, is this homework? Like, this can't be homework. This is actually fun. So I did that and I didn't think much of it. I turned it in. I was like, wow, that was the funnest assignment. Um, but I also had another instance of that. Like, I think it was in fifth grade where we did like a medieval, medieval um, course and I also had to write for that class too. And I ended up writing like a 20K word count um, little story. And I was super excited about that. But then I never thought about it like, oh, writing could be a career. Because all I saw around me was like, oh, business or, you know, medical, <laughs> healthcare, those sort of fields. Some might say that's the am- classic uh, Asian American conundrum, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, which, you know, I still have my day, day job, of course, and my day job is actually working really out really well right now. But when I first graduated college, I started started a day job and I'd been working before, you know, like I um, worked like at a frozen yogurt shop in high school and like I did internships and stuff like that. Um, I worked an IT tech job through college. But my first day job, I sat down and I started working. And I was like, there's got to be more to life than this. 
(laughs) (laughs) It has to be. And so, like, I would go back and forth from my nine-to-five day job, go my commute, drive home, be like, there's something missing. Well, (laughs) that, that job wasn't the right job for me, for one, and the company wasn't the right fit. But I realized, like, I need to do something more like a passion and a hobby. And so I was like, well, obviously, like, I, I love books. So maybe I can write, like, just, you know, for fun. Um, so that was about a decade ago. And since then, I, I was like, well, let me start writing. And then, two, I was like, maybe I can actually do something with this. Like, mm-hmm. maybe it could become a book. I was like, well, I don't, I don't know if I, I can actually write. So I'm like, I, you know, I kept at my day job and I started writing at night. And I was like, and then I started getting more and more into writing. And I would write more at nights, longer nights. And I would, instead of my weekends being like, you know, just scrolling around on Instagram, I'd be like, okay, let's, let's sit down and get some writing done. Yeah. Did you, um, did you go out and seek any training or were you like self-taught? Like, how did you, how did you develop your writing chops? The funny thing is, um, writing does pop up every once in a while, um, in my school. So in college I took, we had to take, um, like mandatory English classes. So undergrad, you're allowed to take one random English class and I took creative writing. Everyone else was taking like business proposals 101. And I was like, Oh, there's a creative <laughs> writing class, guys. I was the only one, I think, in my business admin group that, uh, took creative writing. And then you had to take an upper division writing class as well. And for that one, I took my, uh, creative writing as well. And so I guess through those, I got some sense of training. But to be honest, it wasn't until later when I was working on my own and writing on my own where I realized like, oh, I need to get critique partners. And that's where my writing really developed and grew. Yeah. I mean, I totally understand. I also was a, um, I was a managerial econ major in college. And I remember taking creative classes as kind of like an outlet for all the math I had to do. (laughs) It's like, I I just need to do something creative. And, you know, I think those seeds get planted early. And I feel like a lot of, especially Asian American creatives, have a similar story, right? Like we started off one thing where we thought this is something we have to do. Mm-hmm. And then we end up somewhere where we, we want to be. And I think it's pretty cool that you were able to follow that path too. And you didn't give up on your your passion. And now you have a book coming out in, <laughs> this week, which is amazing. I think it's really, it's it's tough though. If you don't see like outside validation, like, oh yeah, like people like me can become writers. Because um, in college that, upper division class I took it was like you had to sort of audition to get in sort of thing and I was like whoa I got in cool <laughs> and it was a short story writing class which is something I'm, that I've I found really fun um, and I love the short story that I wrote for the submission uh, but I didn't know a lot about writing because I mean the Zadman major everyone else was there was like actually writing majors in that class and so I turned in my first short story and the teacher was like, I cannot read this. And I was like, what? And it was the open critique where all 12 or so classmates and the teacher just sat around the table and talked about the story. She was like, I tried to read it. I could not read it. And so that stopped me from writing for a long time. Oh, no. Um, until after I graduated. Um, so I would say, wow, yeah, your I'd... teacher sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, it's, 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 not, it's not constructive at all. I know. But. 
there was this one guy whose writing I really admired. Um, and after class, he pulled me aside. He was like, Julie, like, I'm sorry for what she did right there. Um, but I really liked it. I really liked your story. And I was like, Oh, wow. Cause like during that class, I was about to like fall. Cause I had never had, you know, I, I was just this, I wrote for fun. Like I was not used to my writing getting critiqued. Um, and so that one person sort of saved my feelings towards writing. And I think you might see that in Eva Evergreen, like sometimes one person is all you need um, yeah. to sort of save your feelings <laughs> about <laughs> writing or saving your town or whatever it may be. <laughs> so did you always want to write middle grade? Um, I'm, I'm just curious because we have so many fantasy books that are in the YA genre. And I feel like fantasy is growing within the middle grade genre. Yeah. So actually, when I started writing, I first wrote, well, first I wrote just like all over the place because I had no idea what middle grade versus young adult was. Like, I didn't know what fantasy contemporary was. I just wrote. Um, eventually, I sort of like found some structure and realized I was the story I was writing was young adult. Um, and I started querying that. But then I realized through through writing it and through querying it, I was like, I don't think this is a story that I want to share with the world. Um, and then during that time, I had this idea of this girl, this little witch who wasn't very strong and wasn't very good at anything, kind of like me with querying. <laughs> <laughs> but she kept on like pushing through. And I was like, I like this little girl. And so that was sort of where Eva came from. And how I trans transitioned over to middle grade um, for Eva, but I still do love both young adult and middle grade, and I find myself writing, you know, little projects in both. Um, did you pitch your book in in like a pitching contest, or did you just do a cold submission to uh, to an agent? Um, so I did a mentorship author mentorship program that not pitch wars, but um, author mentor match, and that didn't involve like an agent pitching or agent showcase. So I cold queried basically everyone that I did query. And my agent, Sarah Landis, um, plucked, plucked me out of the slush uh, from a cold query. That's amazing. That means you're that oh, good. Oh, I, I don't know. She, she's, really, she's really good <laughs> at edits. That's what it is. <laughs> I, I've, I've seen the slush pile. And yeah, like you really have to stand out. And that just is a testament to how good of a writer you are. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious because I, I know Rira has, has read the book. I have not yet, um, but I'm, I'm excited because I'm always looking for new middle grade um, offerings to give to my oh. nieces. Um, and this book club has been a really good resource for that, for gift buying in particular. Um, but for people who aren't familiar with the story, um, I'd like to know like just the basic description um, sure. of, of your story from your words, because um, since we have your mind, <laughs> we might as well take advantage. Absolutely. Um, so what is Eva Evergreen, Semi-Magical Witch, about? So Eva Evergreen is a story about a 12-year-old little girl who's, she's got a pinch of magic, but um, she's trying to pass her witch's test to keep her powers. But if she doesn't pass, she'll lose her powers forever. And one of the things that makes... Eva motivates Eva is she's following the footsteps of her mother, who's the most powerful witch in the realm. And she's always looked up to her mother, always wanted to be like her mother, but 
with a pinch of magic, she's just, she just isn't the same. She's just not strong enough. Um, so Eva Evergreen, Semi Magical Witch, follows the story of her, Eva, going on a quest, getting into a little bit of trouble, but also making the friends, friends that support her and finding a place where she belongs. Wow. I just felt like a pang in my heart just thinking about all that, like, not even parental disappointment, but like from the child's perspective, like just not yeah, living not living up expectations. <laughs> I think yeah. every Asian American child can, <laughs> can relate to that. Every child, um, yeah, like, but children, but right? you know, yeah. like you know how Asian American parents are like, you have to, you have to achieve like three degrees, like excellence forever, and <laughs> like impossible standards. But you know, they they want the best for their children. So I want to talk a little bit more about Eva. So when we announced this book, um, I think it was like two years ago when the book deal Mm -hmm. came out. I was so excited for it because uh, your book was reminiscent of Kiki's Delivery Service, which is my favorite Ghibli uh, movie ever. And uh, the premise was reminiscent of it because it was about a young witch who settles in a new town for training but, you know, as I continued reading your book, uh, it turned out to be significantly different. Was Kiki's Delivery a, a, a source of in- inspiration? Do you have any other uh, works that helped inspired writing your book? Okay, so I I love Ghibli movies. Um, like I love House Moving Castle and of course Kiki's Delivery Service. And actually when I was writing Eva, I didn't think of Kiki's. But when I was looking for queering and stuff like that, I was like, oh, Kiki's would be perfect because it's like Japanese and it's got a witch, apprentice witch sort of feeling. Uh, so I am really happy for Kiki's delivery service that makes Eva so accessible or something that they, people can be like, oh, well, I like Kiki's. I think I might like Eva too. Um, some sources of inspiration. I, I don't know if a lot of people who listen to the podcast watch anime, but I like Boku no Hero Academia, um, Kimetsu no Yaiba. Uh, I don't know the English name. Boku no Hero is My Hero Academia, I think. Yeah, My Hero Academia. Okay. And then Demon Slayer. So they both have like very scrappy main characters that have hearts of gold. They care deeply about the friends, family, but they also have huge goals. And that, like when I was editing Eva, I was like, yeah, that's like what I want Eva to be like. Like she's, she's like, She's this little tiny witch, but she can make things happen. And then um, Rira, I think you might know this song, but um, I always think of characters sort of having like a theme song or like a fight song. And so for Eva, I would say it would be Ampanma. Oh, yeah. Um, from BTS. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Ampanma is like a Japanese anime about this guy who's literally like red bean bread. And he gives parts like chunks of himself to like help help people around him. And Eva's kind of like that. Like she'll she'll do take use her magic to take care of those who she loves. Um, so those I would say were like sources of inspiration for like the heart of Eva, like who she is as a character. Uh, so why a repair shop for uh, for Eva in the book? <laughs> I think you know I was thinking of that like why do I choose a repair shop? And part of it, I think, is because my, I think it was from my grandparents. 
So my grandpa, um, he, he grew up, you know, my grandparents grew up during the World War II era. And, um, on my dad's side, they grew up in the U.S. and they were in the internment camps. So they were just, they tried, tried to, you know, they didn't have a lot when they were growing up. And so they tend to like, you reuse things and keep things and try to stay as resourceful as possible. And on my, uh, my mom's side, my grandpa, he would like cut up a piece of paper and reuse it as no paper because he didn't have a lot either and a lot of money or a lot of, you know, resources to go around. And I think that sort of like that scrappy sort of like resourceful behavior was something that I admire because um, I admire my grandparents so much. And I sort of want to include that. I wanted to include that um, in a character. That's so wonderful, yeah. you know, that you were able to put something so personal into uh, into like the magical world of this book. Um, so we talked a little bit about how um, like manga and like Japanese uh, culture has helped um, influence your book. Um, I just want to talk a little bit more about the landscape of the world of Eva. Um, it seems, I, I don't know why, but maybe it's like the name. It reminded me of Yokohama. Is there like a Japanese city that helped, uh, that helped you like map out the world? <laughs> That's actually a really interesting question. So on, um, uh, for me, as I was creating Eva and her world, I, Actually, I needed visuals, so I needed to create create like a map of Eva and like Eva's Ravel realm, which is basically where she's from, and sort of chart out. Okay, this is where her hometown is. This is Okayama, the capital city. This is Otari, the town that she goes to, and just to like literally, you know, like Google Maps, like to figure out like how long it takes to get distance from A to B. I had to figure out like broomstick map, like how long it would take to fly from A to B, sort of thing. Um, so when I was creating that map, I actually, um, took Japan and sort of turned it on its side, um, and used that as sort of literally the map of Ravel Realm. Um, and actually, Oteri, the place that she's, she ends up landing in is, um, based on Izu Peninsula. It's a peninsula on the eastern coast of Japan. Um, and actually it's kind of a personal spot. I never lived there. I just stayed there for a little bit, but it's a personal spot to me because, um, I was there for a trip almost, yeah, almost like, oh yeah, like nine years ago. And I was there for a trip and I, we were heading home back to, um, Chiba Prefecture, which is a little bit, um, I would say east, northeast of Tokyo. And that was the day of actually the great Tohoku earthquake of 2011. So I don't know if you heard about that, but it was a 9.0 um, earthquake off the what, eastern coast of Japan. And after that, there were there were um, there was a nuclear meltdown and the uh, earthquakes, obviously. Yeah, that was the Fukushima exactly, thing, right? Exactly. And so that I would say imprinted a lot in my memory. And Eva. Um, faces sort of like a natural, not, not natural, but 
a disaster of, of sorts in her story. And I think part of that being at the Izu Peninsula that day and then having that happen later that day sort of impacted Eva's story as well. Yeah. That's amazing that um and also like really scary that you were there for during that time. That was yes. yeah, that because that was a big deal here too, because I have a lot of friends in the J community and they were all like super worried about family back home too. And it, it was the strangest experience because I knew it was bad when I was there, I was like, I know it's bad, but I don't know what's going on because you know, you kind of when you're watching the news, you see sort of um I guess it's called like an eagle's eye view where everything is like you can see everything laid out. But for me, I was yeah. like on the ground and just trying to understand the world around me. <laughs> so it was totally different and totally strange. And I was like, I think safe. Where The trains are stopped. Where do we go? Like, I was with my grandmother, my mom. Like, where are we going to sleep tonight if the trains are stopped? And all these, you know, all these questions. But luckily, like, my family was safe. Um, and we, we were able to, we were safe. Yeah. Vlad, um, I'm curious because I'm always amazed by world building, especially in stories that have to deal with fantasy worlds, right? Where where you have to create everything from scratch. Um, how long did it take you to create this world? Not only like the geography, but the the systems, right? The rules of magic. Um, you know. mm-hmm. That always seems just so, so like it's just advanced for me, you know? <laughs> um, so it's definitely daunting, but I don't think I realized what I was getting into because I was just like, oh, this is a really fun story about a girl who's got some magic, but not enough. And she's really fun and encouraging to write for me personally. And I didn't really think about the magic until I got in really deep and I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so for, so then what I ended up doing is I, I used um, Google Slides and I have this like a hundred page um, slide deck of like the characters, the world and the spells. Um, like for example, for in Eva's world, um, spells are unique for the caster. So rhymes work really well, but you can't reuse the same rhyme that someone else uses. So say like, you know, in Harry Potter, like everyone uses the same spell and there's only one word for it, like Lumos or whatever. So if, in Eva's, Eva's world, each person has to create their own spell and has to be unique to them because I feel like, in my mind, words, words have a special power and some words mean more to you than it may mean to others. And so I want to kind of, I kind of wanted to draw that out um, and use that in the story. And then for the fun things like the food, I just went with whatever I was hungry for at the moment. So. <laughs> I was hungry a lot. I, I was hungry a lot too when I was reading your book. I was like, wow, there are so many good pastries. And uh, like, are you a baker uh, yourself? I, yes, yes. You are. I love to bake. I don't bake very well, but um, I love to bake. And I also think that Japan has a lot of great pastries and bread that they never really get acknowledgement for. So I put a lot of that in there too. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting like rice, which is common in Japan, but um, I think I read a survey or results for a survey a while back where Japanese, like they tend to eat a lot of breakfast, uh, bread for breakfast. 
rather than rice nowadays, which surprised me at the time. But I was like, it makes sense. Their bread is really tasty. I miss those um, Japanese breakfasts you get at the hotel when you visit. Those are so good. Like the all you can eat like (laughs) ones or the ones where it's like a set um, set meal. Uh, both, to be honest, <laughs> um, just Asian breakfast yeah. in general, I think is to me is is superior. There's something so calming about um, a Japanese breakfast where it's like the miso sh- the miso soup, the rice, um, salmon, the natto. Like, love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we talked a little bit about how you came up with the spells. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, when I had to take classes where you had to write poems, I was a terrible rhymer. So I had to have a list of uh, rhymes ready <laughs> when I would when I would have to write poems. Did you kind of have to do that for your book? Because uh, some of your spells are just so creative. So like my Google Google Chrome history is like days rhymes <laughs> you know, like every word rhymes every word rhymes like I had to search a lot for rhymes um and to make it work and to make it flow and then I would be like literally counting off of my fingers for like you know the syllables to make it flow better so yeah definitely there were a lot of edits for the for the spells man it would have been so hard if your spells were all haikus oh my gosh I would not I would not be able to, but that'd be cool if one character did haikus. But do you feel like now that you've done so many rhymes that you could, you know, maybe freestyle if you wanted to? <laughs> With Google Chrome. <laughs> Google Google was really handy for you for, for your writing process. Yeah, I think it was because I could, um, I could use my computer and also use my phone um, and it would sync. And everything would be in one place. So like I would write literally in Google Docs and then I would have it on my laptop. And then I also like if I'm like out somewhere and I have a spare minute or an idea, I could just jot it down in Google Docs and have it all in one place. So ease, ease for me. It was a lot easier. So what I really liked about your world is um, there are different ranks for wizard and witches, and you also have protocols for passing exams. Uh, I just really, like Marvin said, coming up with the rules of magic from scratch, it's always really impressive to see. Uh, I'm curious on how you decided on all of the rules of your world and just like the bureaucracy and the structure of how people become witches and wizards? I think a lot of, well, the, the bureaucracy of how witches became um, like full official witches would, would be, was probably because I needed Eva to have to do something to prove herself. But I think a lot of the ranks um, came from, maybe it came from like martial arts. My father is actually very into martial arts. Um, and he was like, clear the couch from the living room when we were a kid and because he taught um, martial arts and clear the couch. So he'd clear the couch in the living room and he'd be like, okay, let's go. Time to train. And of course, <laughs> you know, in martial arts, like they have all the belts. So it's kind of like Eva's like advancing and she's got her white belt right now, but she wants a black belt eventually. <laughs> I just, I just pictured uh, make a man out of you from Mulan. Oh it's my like, God. Let's get down to business. <laughs> Uh, I can just like picture it. Um, <laughs> yeah, my dad will be singing that, like beating a drum, like, let's go, Julie, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
one like I really love the friendships and relationships in this book. Uh, there's this one character, uh, Charlotte, who uh, you know she's kind of prickly in the beginning. She's kind of uh, very cold to Eva uh, in the very beginning, but they have like this very uh, very special friendship as you read the book. Um, and I don't know, like I really like friendships where uh, the two characters don't get along. In the beginning, it's kind of like enemies to lovers, but the friendship version. Uh, do you have like, was that based on personal experiences? So I love Charlotte as a character too. She actually, I feel like she's a bit like me because I can be very shy and I don't realize I'm coming off as like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. And I'm just like, I don't know what to say. What do I say? That person's pretty cool, but I don't know what to say to that person. So I feel like Charlotte is like the sort of person that can, may be sort of um, her actions may be misconstrued and like people don't understand her. And I wanted people to see like, hey, she actually really has a heart of gold too. Like she she loves people, but she doesn't know how to get that across sometimes. I could definitely relate to Charlotte a lot because uh, <laughs> because I'm very similar. Um, actually, a lot of people when they first meet me, they automatically assume that I don't like them oh, uh, no. <laughs> so uh, obviously like growing up that was like a challenge trying to like show people no like I actually do care it just seems like I'm disinterested all the time because that's just my face and I am, re <laughs> I am really shy so I could definitely relate to Charlotte and I would have loved to have met her if I was uh, when I was younger um so speaking of younger readers uh eva only has a pinch of magic like you mentioned and that's a really sore spot for her she wants to prove herself and uh, she's constantly told she is not enough uh, by her own townspeople and um, she's told that she's not she's not an actual witch because she has more blood than magic uh, what do you hope your younger readers learn from Eva's journey? So that this, her her half magic, semi-magical pinch of magic part is really personal to me because all throughout my life, I felt like kind of not one thing or another. I was born in Japan, but I grew up mostly in the U.S. So I'm Japanese, but I'm also American, but I'm also not Japanese enough and not American enough. And that, I think, has sort of been part of my whole life. But when I wrote this out, I kind of realized I want readers or like even a younger me. I want I want those readers to realize that they are wonderful as they are and that who they are, what they are. It's it's enough. Like you don't you don't need to fill everyone's standards. You don't need to dress to impress people who don't care about you or be someone who you're not. So I want readers to remember like, hey, your pinch of magic is more than enough. Your goals are worthy and I want you to believe in your dreams. Yeah, like that, that, like that's just such an important message for uh, young, young people nowadays, because everybody wants to, you know, fit in. And when you don't fit into society's standards, it, you know, it's really disheartening. So like Eva just being so, um, I mean, she's not confident, but she's definitely you know, she's brave. Even though she's afraid of failing, she still tries. And that is a very big theme in your book. And I really appreciate that you put that in there. Um, 
we're we're kind of like winding down in our interview. Um, I guess like one of my last questions for you is, did you get a say in what the cover would look like? Because I think uh, for the people who haven't seen the cover, it's kind of like the art style is very manga-esque. And uh, I think the artist captured uh, Eva really well. Um, so my question is, did you have any uh, say in what kind of style you wanted the cover to be? So I'm I'm super lucky because Little Brown Young Readers, uh, my publisher, they um, sent me two different, completely different artists uh, portfolios, and they were like, they said, hey, take a look, let me know, let us know what you think, and I was, and so I took a look at them, and Shan Jiang, uh, the artist for Eva's cover, his work is just absolutely epic. He's done work for like Nike, Hennessy, like a bunch of major brands. And I was like, wow, he's really cool. Um, but his, his natural art style is actually a little bit different from the cover he did for Eva. Um, but I was still like, I think I want to go with him because I want to see what sort of cover he'll do. And as a part of that process, I gave like a document of, oh, this is sort of what I see the Eva's cover being like. This is what she looks like. Um, the world she's in, you know, I did like reference photos and all that stuff. Um, and so I was lucky to be included in the cover creation process. And I'm, I'm so grateful for how the cover turned out. I feel like I won like the cover lottery or something like that. He's such an amazing artist. It's such a wonderful cover. It's like, it's exactly uh, what I pictured Eva to look like. And uh, for, for Ember to look like her little, uh, yeah, her little pet. Ember's kind of kind of my favorite, so I'm biased. So I, I say he looks perfect in every photo. <laughs> yes, he looks perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's very it's it's a very detailed and rich um, graphic, which is great because you you want that graphic that captures the uh, attention of the kids walking around mm-hmm. the bookstore, right? Well, you know, maybe browsing around yes. the. Uh, the website these yes. days but um oh and i've seen the cover for eva too and the cover for eva too is just like beautiful and he also shen jang also did the cover chapter header art and there's some chapter header art for book two that i just i really want to share with the world but i can't yet but i'll be super excited when i can he's amazing. amazing he's amazing speaking of the second book uh what can we expect because um, I don't want to spoil anything for the first book, but <laughs> but the ending for the first book it, it's a cliffhanger, uh, for lack of a better <laughs> word. So what can what can we expect in the second book? Um, I can't say much yet. I mean, there's gonna be Eva, there's gonna be Ember, and also a resolution to the cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of, you know, your your book's coming out. Um, this week so by the time our listeners have heard this it's already out i guess how has it been like releasing a book you know in 2020 literally like i know it probably wasn't the um debut tour you were expecting um but how how has it how has it been going for you i think it's been definitely an interesting experience um of course i don't know what an actual book release non-pandemic is like so this is normal, right? 
this is this is how everyone else yeah. this, this is what authors books. dream of you know when, yes. they, when they decide to release a book i i would love to release a book during a pandemic and never go into bookstores but that being said like people will tag me like my friend um i think you you had her on actually your podcast a few a little little bit ago uh jessica kim she tagged me in a photo where she was in a bookstore and she pointed uh she uh Eva was on the shelf already. And so I've gotten to see Eva already on bookshelves. And people will tag me in photos saying like, oh, I got the book. And I'm like, wow. Um, I don't know where the book is already out, but. <laughs> it's like, wow, but there's like people actually physically holding it. <laughs> yes, yes. I get to see it and I get to appreciate those photos even more because I'm stuck at home. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people are. And that's why having great books like Eva Evergreen is so important because A, it's always great to read a good book. And B, you got to keep those kids distracted yeah. with something. And why not distract them with a with a nice story about your, a plucky underdog um, going up against Marvin, the Marvin, you sound like... You sound like the typical uncle who's like, read, <laughs> read a thousand books, you know? You want to go outside? No, you're staying here. Read this book. Come on. That's the thesis of our entire podcast. You should read that's more. That's true. From yes. Asian authors, especially. You know? Well, the book came out this past Tuesday, which is um, August 4th, 2020. Um, the book, again, is Eva Evergreen, Semi-Magical Witch. Written by our guest, Julie Abe. Right. Thank you again, uh, Julie, for uh, it, it was such a fun talk. So I like I wish you the best of luck with your launch. Thank you. Yeah. If people want to learn more about your thoughts and uh, want to follow you on social media, where can they go? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook uh, at Julie Abe Books. I'm most often uh, posting on Instagram, but you can also find me at JulieAbeBooks.com. Well, congrats on your debut and um, looking forward to, um, you know, more and more Eva Evergreen books coming up. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And that was Julie Abe. The book, again, is Eva Evergreen Semi-Magical Witch, um, available at booksellers everywhere. Definitely, if you have anyone in your life who enjoys reading um, books, whether they're young or old, I think this is something that will make them very, very happy. I'm very excited. I have two nieces who are um, very voracious readers, so I'm very excited to uh, get this into their hands. Uh, Speaking of being voracious readers, um, don't forget our August 2020 book club pick is The Empress of Salt and Fortune, which is a novella by Ni Vo. It's been pitched to me as The Handmaiden's Tale meets Asian Game of Thrones. So I'm very excited and invested to uh, start reading this book. It's very short. It's a novella. It's only like 120 pages. So uh, I hope a lot of people join in on our Goodreads discussion. Um, I'm, I'm excited to um, I have it loaded up on my Kindle, so I'm ready, ready to go. And yeah, like Rira said, if you have any thoughts about this book or past books or just anything about Asian American authors and books in general, please let us know on our Goodreads forums. We love it whenever people post there to introduce themselves or to talk about books. And um, we want to we want to keep building this community because, um, you know, we're all stuck at home. So let's just let's just read more. And we have more author interviews coming your way. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be a jam-packed August. I'm very excited. Um, Until next time, um, keep reading and King Boba, I guess. Bye.
Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Kathy, Kim! Steve? What's going on? Tell me, what do you know about K-dramas? Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pots? Because you know they're bad for the environment? Uh, No. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listen to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season. Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So... Are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean drama podcast? So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one? Secret Garden from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean drama podcast at koreandramapod.com. Gotcha! Am I going to see sauna towel buns?